Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, a warning from our old buddy George. Binge Mode contains adult content, much like Game of Thrones, the series adapted from my novels, A Song of Ice and Fire. If you have read the novels or have watched the show, then you're probably okay. Come join us on the Cinnamon Wind. It's time for Binge Mode. Half the men will hate me the moment I give the order. Half the men hate you already, Lord Commander. Do it. But you don't know what it is. That doesn't matter. You do. You will find little joy in your command. But with luck, you will find the strength to do what needs to be done. Kill the boy, Jon Snow. Winter is almost upon us. Kill the boy, and let the man be born. Hello! Yeah! Welcome to Binge Mode! Yes. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today... Now that he's finished his poetry slam reading with Tyrion and Jorah, it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. The lone wolf dies! The pack survives. Jason? Yeah? Let's hold each other close and oh. turn our backs upon the end. We are rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones, deep diving one at a time, and we are about to hit the fourth quarter of our rewatch, guys. Yeah. Home stretch here. Spoiler warning, as always, we will be going deep on details from the show and the books from this season and beyond, so get ready to continue the podcast of a thousand years, because it's time to break <laughs> down season five, episode five, Kill the Boy. Jason. Yeah. As the episode name indicates, <laughs> it's time to kill the boy and kill let him. the man be born. Good but idea. before issuing that lethal blow, let's offer a brief refresher sure. on what actually happened in this fifth installment by taking a quick trip down our very own King's Road. In Marine Slaver's Bay, Danny weighs how to respond to the Sons of the Harpy attack. She has leaders of the great families rounded up, taken down to her dragons, Rhaegal and Viserion. And as a show of strength, she has one of them burned and eaten up. Mm. And then ultimately, Danny decides, you know what? Let's calm this situation down. I'm going to reopen the fighting pits. That's a good decision, I think. Further, she then decides that, you know what? His Darzo Lorak going to marry that guy. Wait, what? <laughs> That's, that escalated quickly. <laughs> it really did. In Castle Black. A lot happening up in Castle Black in this episode. It's where we spend most of our time. Sam. Reading Maester Eamon the news out of Marine, and Eamon is agonizing over the mm -hmm. thought that his only living relative, question mark, question mark, question mark, <laughs> we'll get to that more later, is alone all the way across the world. John comes in and he asks Eamon for advice on a matter that John fears could divide the Night's Watch. His uh, <laughs> great great uncle tells him, kill the boy. Let the man be born. Make yep. the decision. Stand by it. John 
does that. He visits Tormund, has a chat, and proposes an alliance between the Night's Watch and the Wildlings to build trust. John agrees that he himself will go. Go where? Hard home. To rescue the wildling women and children, the elderly, the infirmed, the people who need help. This decision, predictably, extremely unpopular. (laughs) It sure is. With the Night's Watch. All of the olive foreshadowing. They burned my village. Is it a trick? Stannis, nice moment here, meets with Sam, whose father, Randall Tarly, is the only person who beat Robert in a battle, right? Yep. And Stannis brings this up. They bond. And then Stannis is like, how'd you kill a White Walker? Right. Well, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? Meanwhile, a winter storm is on the horizon. And Stannis is, is worried about this. He says it's time to move. March on Winterfell now or die in the attempt. At Winterfell, Mm. or just outside of it, Brienne has taken a room that allows her to keep watch over the castle. She asks a literally random (laughs) dude to help her get a message to Sansa Stark. So wild. (laughs) Brienne, oh my God. In the castle, Miranda (laughs) is jealous of Sansa, which is dangerous because Miranda, as we know, is a psycho. Mm. The elderly maid who he met previous episode passes Brienne's message to Sansa. If you need help, Light a candle in the tower window. P.S. It's the tower that Bran fell from. Miranda introduces Sansa to Reek. Then later at dinner, Ramsay has Reek apologize to Sansa, you know, for like uh, having her brothers burned and killed. Roose and Walda announce that they are with child. Yay! Ramsay goes, no. (laughs) And then Roose asks Ramsay, hey, you know, you really want to prove yourself Mm -hmm. as my son, as my son. Uh, I need you to move against Stannis's army. And in the ruins of Valyria, what a place. Yeah. So cool to finally sail through here. Jorah, with Tyrion as his prisoner, navigates his little boat down a cramped waterway, snaking through the cursed ruins. They recite a poem together about the doom. It's beautiful. And then they fall silent as Drogon sails overhead. This is where he is, guys. Mystery solved. Calling his homeland. Calling to him. So fucking cool. That's really great. Love it. And this peaceful, haunting, beautiful moment lasts for a fraction of a second. And then... Uh, did you notice that part of that crumbling cliff is actually a dude? Right. Uh, stone men <laughs> attack. Jorah fights them off and saves Tyrion from drowning, but Uh-oh. touch of the grayscale. That thing moves touch fast. Touch of the grayscale. <laughs> Rapidly accelerating An aggressive disease. Man, I still love him. I'll still have him. And the other thing is, you know, like, don't rule out that it's because of all those, like, hemp necklaces and stuff and hemp bracelets that he has. Stuff gets wet, bacteria gets in there. I'm just saying, Jorah, you know. Enough of the linen shirts, really. (laughs) Come on. Come on, guy. Mal. Yeah. If we gave everyone what they deserved, we'd have no one left to rule. Mm. And that gets us to this episode's big idea, so let's cut right to the core of it. By sticking it with a pointy end, the defining theme of this episode is revolutionary thinking. Sometimes you have to innovate, especially when the walker thread is growing in the north. An uprising is sweeping through your city or you've accidentally sailed into a leper colony and killed the boy. It does. 
In Kill the Boy, numerous characters are coming to realize that surviving, let alone thriving, requires thinking outside of the box and breaking with convention. We get a lot of this with John. We get a lot of this with John up in Castle Black because he knows, he knows that what he's considering doing is revolutionary and that scares him. That's why he's seeking counsel from Eamon. So he goes to the maester and he says, there's something I want to do, something I have to do, but it'll divide the Night's Watch bitterly. Half the men will hate me the moment I give the order. Half the men hate you already, Lord (laughs) Commander, Maester Eamon replies. Do it. Wow. And John says, but you don't even know what it is. And this is a great moment for Eamon. That doesn't matter. You do. You will find little joy in your command, but with luck, you will find the strength to do what needs to be done. Kill the boy, John Snow. Winter is almost upon us. Kill the boy and let the man be born. There's this incredibly sweet moment yeah. where Eamon reaches out and he puts his hands on John's face and it's like, I just get chills thinking about it. But think about that advice. Think about what he's saying to him when he says, that doesn't matter, you do. Kill the boy. He's saying, stop worrying about what other people right. think. Stop worrying about how your actions will be judged. Let go of your inhibitions. Pursue the course that you know you need to pursue. So what is the course that John needs to pursue? He wants to bring the wildlings south. Let them through the wall so that, you know, A, they're safe. He does genuinely believe in this shield that guards the realms of men business. And B, so that they can help him fight the true enemy, the walkers. And he basically goes on to make the same appeal to Tormund that he and Stannis, in turn, had previously made to Mance. Go find the free folk. Let them through the wall. We'll give them land. They'll help us. And Tormund says, they will not kneel. They will not kneel. And John says, I don't care, right? I don't want them to kneel for me. I want them to fight with me when the time comes. Tormund says, the day I ask my people to fight with the crows is the day my people cut my guts from my belly and make me eat them. (laughs) And John, this is really where he goes back into the manse management mode. How many of your people can fight? The women, the children, the old, the sick? What happens to them? You're condemning them to death, worse than death, because you're too proud to make peace. And he goes on to say, I'm not asking you to make peace to save your skin. Make peace to save your people. He's appealing to that sense of the greater good. Something's more important than your own pride. And he gets through to Tormund. Tormund says, most of them are at hard home. Do you know where that is? Well, guys, we know now. We We know now. Hell of an episode coming our way here. But Tormund's words really speak to a larger truth because when they're kind of like, Going back and forth yeah. here, especially at the beginning of this exchange, and John is kind of, you know, attacking his pride. Maybe you're just a coward. Why don't you get your people to safety? One of the things that Tormund says is hard to lead when you're in change. And he is speaking about his literal physical circumstances right. in the moments. He is in handcuffs. Yep. But there's something very apt and applicable about that statement to this episode and these characters in total, right? John has to break free of the chains that are holding him back, yep. that are inhibiting— 8,000 years of history, really. Exactly, that are inhibiting his ability to, to do the thing that he knows he has to do yep. because it's so revolutionary. It's so different. And, you know, Tormund is not just a pushover in this regard. Right. You know, this idea, an alliance between the Night's Watch, really, the you know, the, the southern realms, and the wildlings— is revolutionary for Tormund too. I mean, he says, my people will cut my guts out and make me eat them. You know, this is a drastic step that has 
only rarely been attempted throughout history. And he says, you know, when John is like, okay, I'll, I'll send some ships. You know, right. as soon as Tormund tells him they're at Hardham, he's like, Okay, what do you need? Men? You need like yeah. Here's here's some horses and men. Here's some horses and men. No, we need ships. Okay, I I can wrangle up some ships. And then Tormund's like, you have to go to build this trust. You have to go. You're the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. He says they need to hear it from you, and they need to know the ships they're boarding won't be torched in the middle of the sea. You come with me, or I don't go. Love it. The Lord Commander of the Night's Watch sailing north into Wildland Country to convince the Free Folk to pass through the gate at Castle Black willingly to take up residence in the gift, which is 50 leagues directly south of the wall where the watch grow their food and hunt and et cetera, isn't just revolutionary. It's, it's unheard of. And it's not going over well, as you would expect with John's brothers, who many of whom, the older ones certainly have spent their entire lives. Right killing and hunting these people. And seeing these people kill their friends. Right. I mean, this is what Ed says to John. You know, they killed Gren. Right. Um, it was really a giant. But, you know, <laughs> let's, we'll table that from now. And Ed says, you know, I will follow you anywhere. You know that. But they killed Gren and they killed Pip. They killed 50 of our brothers. I can't forget that. I can't forgive it. That's not good because what is, what is a Lord Commander without the support of his men? John can only rule by diktat for right. so long. And other than Sam, Ed is the closest person to John right. of the people left in the Night's Watch yes. on the show at this time. So Ed, not only not supporting him, but standing up in front of everyone and saying, I right. can't support you, is devastating. And that makes the fact that John is willing to stay committed yep. that much more astonishing. And he has this private chat following the, the gathering yeah. with Ollie. You, you don't know. mean it, do you? <laughs> Ollie comes to his quarters yeah. and he's giving him the cold shoulder. And, you know, John's like, what's up, homie? What, what do you got? And this is what Ollie says. You don't mean it, do you? Telling the wildlings you want to make peace. You're just doing it to trick them. John says it's not a, it's not a trick. Right. And Ollie can't understand this right now. He's a kid, but this is this is what he says. They burnt my village. They put an arrow through my father's head right in front of me. They butchered my mother. Everyone I ever knew. I know what it's like to lose people you love, John says. I know this is hard for you, but winter is coming. We know what's coming with it. We can't face it yeah. alone. And Ollie's just like, do you need anything else? Right. And then leaves. Like, John has lost him. <clears throat> and the most painful part of this is that John knows. Yeah. He knows that he's lost Ollie in that moment. He knows that he doesn't have the support of his men, but he has to forge ahead yeah. anyway because it's that important. You know, what makes this revolutionary isn't just that it's really never been tried and it goes against all of history, essentially, but it's that on the one hand, John is arguing a rational case. You know, if the wildlings are killed by the Night's King and the White Walkers, they will add to the army of the dead. And that's tens of thousands of more whites that we have to fight. And if we take them onto our side, that's just a larger army that we have to fight them with. That argument doesn't really work against an emotional argument, which is they killed our friends. Right. And that's what makes this so hard. Danny, meanwhile, is is facing her own revolutionary moment. Barrison's death has thrown her and it's thrown her deeply and it's time for a change of course. But first, and here she's listening to the advice of Dario, Round up the great families. Round up the leaders of the great families. She takes them down to see her babies. Oh. And she says, as her unsullied point spears at the backs of these men, they will eat you if I tell them to. They may even eat you if I don't. Children, 
Some say I should give up on them, but a good mother never gives up on her children. Can she, I ask a question? Yeah. What happened here? When? Like, Danny chains them in the catacombs. Yeah. They're devastated. Right. She goes back at the beginning of this season to visit them because yeah. she's filled with regret. And they're like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. It's a real slam in the door in mom's face right. moment. And now she's just comfortably back there yeah. in control. How? It's strange. <laughs> like, but, you know, like one of the things the show does and suggests in ways that are different from the books is that these dragons respond to her mood. Right. And they're not sensing fear in this they're moment. Not, they're right. sensing They're sensing a, a resolve. Right. And so she pushes them forward. And Rhaegal just roasts a dude and uh. tears him to little pieces. And then Danny continues to address the rest of these guys. This is an insane moment. <laughs> it's insane. Now, as you said, this is what Dario has been counseling her to do. Show her strength. Go in there, march into the streets, and just You're house by queen. house just kill all the families of the masters. And Danny here is not just showing her, her um, the influence of Daria, but she's kind of showing some mad kingish, mad queenish. Literally burning them. Yeah, I mean, and, and by the way, when the flames go, there's a look on her face oh, she's that is, she's entr is entranced by this. Absolutely. I The mad king, mad queen stuff here is Deeply concerning. Yeah. It's concerning that she's basically, you know, like you said, in listening to Dario, she's by definition kind of rejecting Barristan's right. counsel, which was like, hey, let me tell you a little bit about your dad right. and how he thought and acted and why right. you shouldn't do that, why you definitely shouldn't do that. The <laughs> most important thing I can teach you is don't burn people don't burn, alive. That was the bad thing that Just he did. <laughs> one note, don't burn people yeah. alive. And then- Here she is. Also, if you're concerned with your dragons, if the reason that you locked them in the catacombs in the first place is I'm, I'm just worried that they're just developing a little bit too much of a taste for man flesh. Right. Man flesh. Maybe don't feed them human beings. It's just a thought. And so sometime after this, I think Danny realizes, well, I can't just kill everyone. Right. She chats with Miss Andy after Miss Andy and Grey Worm have their- Little moment. Little wonderful moment where Grey Worm tells her, I was for first time afraid. What were you afraid of? That I never again see Miss Sandy. I was like, oh, it's good. Bathing nude. <laughs> Bathing nude in by river. river. <laughs> and she says, you know, Danny says, if I gave everyone what they deserve, I'll have no one left to rule. Aha. Very wise. Sir Barristan counts a mercy when I took the city right up to the morning you died. Dario Naharis thinks I should kill the former masters and let the rest of the city fend for itself. What do you think? And Miss Sandy says, Me? Who, me? You're, right. You're asking me? And she's like, wait, I just braid your hair this and is, like translate. I'm just the intern. <laughs> right. And then she says, I have seen you ignore your counselors before there was a better choice. One that only you could see. Aha, revolutionary thinking. So what does Danny do? Goes down to the dungeons, visits Hisdar. And she says, you know, it takes courage to admit fear and to admit a mistake. I came here to tell you that I was wrong. I was wrong and you were right about tradition, about bringing the people of this city together. I will reopen the fighting pits to free men only. Slavery will never return to Marine, not while I live. And he says, yes. And in order to forge a lasting bond with the Miranese people, I will marry the leader of an ancient family. Thankfully, a suitor is already on his knees. And his daughter's like, wait, I'm on my knees. Hold it. Wait, me? And I think the whole audience is also like, wait, that guy? And this is, you know, so I mean, wild. listen, there's, it is a revolutionary idea. This is such an out-of-the-box idea that literally no everybody who she would ask about this would probably be like, no, what, don't do that. Right. But it just shows you when faced with these intractable problems of trying to bring two sides 
that really may never agree on things, and if they do, it would take hundreds of years, sometimes takes an absolutely revolutionary step. There are people who will never agree on things, no matter how many hundreds of years they have together, all over the map, including Winterfell and surrounding inns. And, you know, in a land where friendship, or at least alliances and allegiances, often determine your survival, there are few things truly as revolutionary as trusting a complete fucking stranger to do what you need done. So when Brienne (laughs) asks the guy who, you know, brings the suitcase up on the elevator (laughs) and just has the totally standard, anything else you need? Are you interested in committing treason? (laughs) How about a touch of treason? Just Just a a little bit. A little bit of treason. This is wild, right? I need to get a message to her, to Sansa Stark. And this dude's just like, who are you? What? <laughs> yeah. Someone who swore to keep her safe. Swore to who? Thank God that this guy's like asking questions. Yeah, and it's not just least. like, yeah, sure. <laughs> her mother. Her mother is dead. That doesn't release me from my oath. Classic right. Brienne here. I swore to serve Lady Catelyn. I serve her still. Who do you serve? This is a big move. Yeah. Not necessarily a wise one, but Brienne knows that she's in the position where, look, once you've gone face to face with the person you're trying to help and that person has rejected you and and just cast you aside, but you are committed, committed to finding a way, you have to think outside Shooters have to shoot at that point. So this message arrives via the elderly (laughs) woman who has a moment with Sansa in her chambers and says, you still have friends in the North. And Sansa's like, what? What? Yeah. Who are you? What is happening? If you're ever in trouble, light a candle in the highest window of the broken tower. And then she goes on to say, you're not alone. Now, we have many moments with Sansa where we just want to shake her and say, someone is offering you an out. Right. Take it. Take it and run. Run, Take it and run. 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 Certainly the events that occur in Sansa's life in the ensuing few episodes will lead us to having some sincere regret on her behalf here. But in this moment, it's hard, actually, like to blame her because right. she's like, can I get just a little more information right. here on what you're talking about? Like, what are you is, and what, what are, the help is? What are you even going to do when I light this candle? Right. She's in a <laughs> what Waldo would call a strange place. And it's like, <laughs> you know, you dumbass. I grew up here. This right. is we're literally in my house. Right. Not a strange place, but as Sansa notes at dinner, she's with strange people. She knows they're dangerous. She knows she has to be careful. She doesn't have the luxury right now of acting in revolutionary fashion. Another message arrives as well. Word of Reek's presence Mm -hmm. by Miranda. Miranda says, I have something to show you. And it's really a chilling scene on multiple levels, not the least of which is she's walking into the room, the space where she will eventually feed her tormentor to his own dogs. Ramsey, not exactly thrilled that Reek didn't tell him about seeing Sansa, but he's got a plan to make everyone miserable, forcing Reek, his cupbearer slash uh, body man slash, you know, a deformed slave, to apologize to Sansa at dinner for killing her brothers. You know, just like a little, I'm sorry, over dinner. Um, and Sansa and Reek both look like they would much rather not be hearing this, not be saying this, not be listening to this. And even Walda and, you know what, even Roos looks a bit, although Roos, it must be said, lets it go on. He lets it play out. 
And Ramsey's big idea is Reek. Here is the nearest thing to living king that you have left. Reek, you will give away the bride. Someone has to. What better person? And here again, we see Ramsey's like bone deep need to torment and torture people. So awful. And where does he get that from, by the way? From his father, Roos, who, while certainly more refined than Ramsey, enjoys watching his son squirm as well. When he tells Ramsey that, you know what? Walden and I, we're with child. He drinks in the sight of Ramsey squirming, and he says, oh, later on after, after the dinner, you're worried about your position. Of course he's fucking course. worried. Like, what do you, Roos knows that that's what he's worried about. Ramsey says, my position is quite clear. I'm your son until a better alternative comes along. And Roos decides, ah, now that I've got some leverage on Ramsey, he was getting a little uppity after the legitimization. Feeling himself a little. Feeling himself just a little bit. Now here's a good time to tell Ramsey, you know what? You're the product of rape, one. And then two, I need your help with something. Maybe a death mission, who knows? This is such a bizarre exchange. Yeah, he's, he talks about Stannis and Stannis's army and he says, he means to take the North but the North is ours. It's yours and mine. Will you help me defeat him? I raped your mother. Help me win a war. It's just, Interesting strategy. Yeah, you wonder where Ramsay gets it from. So much, is, so much is clear. Yeah. So much is clear. All right, Jason. Yeah. We are going to be spending a lot of time together on the way to Marine and on the way to completing binge mode. <laughs> but this doesn't have to be an unpleasant journey. Yeah. Now that we've seen Jorah and Tyrion sail through the ruins of Valeria, recite honestly beautiful and stirring poetry right. about the doom, and fend off with varying degrees of success the Stonemen attack, let's assemble the Conclave and head to the Citadel. Teach us everything we need to know about old Valeria. And while we're at it, yeah, grayscale. The Valerian Empire, commonly referred to as the Valerian Freehold, once stretched from Slaver's Bay in the east all the way to Dragonstone in the Narrow Sea in the west. Now, the heart of the Freehold was the country of Valeria itself. It was a fin-shaped peninsula jutting south into the Summer Sea, just west of Slaver's Bay and east of Volantis. They were an advanced civilization, able to harness magic and technology to create great wonders. They created roads that are still in use, they created this incredible architecture, which creates this, this look of stone that seems almost liquefied. They, of course, rode dragons and created uh, Valerian steel. They came, they saw, they conquered. Valeria was an oligarchy. All the land-only families of the Freehold had some kind of say in the government, and in times of war, the families would elect an archon. It's very similar to uh, a Roman dictator in that regard. Um, this person would take control for a very limited time and direct the war. It's usually war we're talking about in these emergencies. So the Valerian Peninsula was dominated geographically by the 14 flames. These are 14 volcanoes from which the empire derived uh, much of its wealth in gold, silver, and other ores. The Valerians were a slaveholding culture, and untold millions toiled in these deep, hot mines, the 14 flames. And according to Valerian folktales, dragons also dwelled in these mines, and were birthed like children from the molten mountains. On the backs of these winged monsters, the Valerians brought down the Giscari Empire, founding the colonies which would later become the cities of Slaver's Bay. Then they turned west towards the city-states of the Roinar on the banks of the great Roin River. And after taking them out, 
the golden age of, of Valeria commenced. They reigned for thousands of years, founding Volantis, Lys, and the other free cities minus Bravos. Although they kind of, in a roundabout way, did found Bravos because Bravos was created by slaves who had escaped from Valeria. Anyway, then they founded the outpost on Dragonstone, which uh, they first settled about 600 years before the events of the show, and they seemed really poised to conquer Westeros and then the Doom. In 114 BC, so we're talking about just over 400 years before the show, a great cataclysm befell the Valerian homeland, reduced the peninsula to a smoking and possibly cursed ruin. All the Valerian families, their dragons, all their works, their wealth were destroyed in, in a very short period of time. Only the Targaryens, who had emigrated to Dragonstone some years before the Doom, managed to survive. And many a treasure hunter in that time has braved the rubble of Valeria, looking for Valerian steel, Valerian armor, all the kind of weird and wondrous technologies that they had created. None of these people has ever returned. Uh, one of these people is Tywin's youngest brother, Jerrion, who mm -hmm. sailed to the peninsula in 291 AC in search for the long-lost Lannister family Valerian sword, Brightroar. Never to be seen again. What could have befallen all these unfortunate Indiana Jones as well? Uh, perhaps it was the Stone Men. Stone Men are what happens to you when you go into late stage grayscale. So grayscale is like a highly communicable disease which turns the skin into this thick and cracked, ashy um, scaliness, essentially, and reduces the mind of the person to an animal-like state. It's kind of like, I guess you would say, rabies crossed with eczema, like super eczema. And uh, stone men end up lashing out violently at any living thing and invariably infect those who they come into contact with. The disease in general is most prevalent in Essos. Now, in the books, the stone men actually haunt the rubble of the Rhoynish cities up and down the banks of the Rhoyne, particularly around the once grand festival city of Croyane. So this is in the books, in the final stages of, the, of their genocidal wars against the Valerians, it's said that the Rhoynish called down a curse upon their enemy and the Rhoyne flooded massively out of season. A, some kind of a weird magical fog fell across the land and very soon an outbreak of grayscale caused Valerians to die in great numbers. So this is a show change. The stone men in the, in the ruins of Valeria, that's something that the showrunners changed. In the show, we would expect that families of those stricken with grayscale exile their loved ones to Valeria rather than kill them, which is what Craster did to Gilly's sisters. Uh, it's also possible that the mists of Valeria carry the disease. We're not sure about that, but like why else would people never come back? Um, and, and what else would cause these rumors of cursed and dark magical lands to propagate? We don't really know. All we really know is, hey guys, avoid Valeria. Let's, let's just read this poem. They held each other close and turned their backs upon the end, the hills that split asunder and the black that ate the skies. The flames that shot so high and hot that even dragons burned would never be the final sights that fell upon their eyes. A fly upon a wall, the waves the sea wind whipped and churned, the city of a thousand years and all that men had learned. The doom consumed it all alike, and neither of them turned. This is great. Yeah. All that men had learned. The city of a thousand years and all that men had learned. This is lost civilization. Yep. It's Rome. This is wild. It's also really cool because Jorah and Tyrion are like hating on each other a lot here. And <laughs> yeah. this is the moment where they look at each other and they're like, oh, yeah. we're not so different. Right. We both see the big picture right. here. We both have a feel for, as D.B. Weiss said at the time when describing this, a long 
view on history. Yeah. This is important. This is who these people are. All right. Hey, guys. Just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to binge mode. Mal. Yeah. They say the doom still rules, Valeria, but it doesn't have to rule us. We're free to head to the sep to bathe in the light of the seven by sharing our seven favorite insights and observations from this episode, lightning round style. So number one yeah. has to be the thing that we texted each other about 57 it's, times when we were yeah, watching this. When Sam is reading Eamon the, the letter about Danny that we referenced earlier right. in the episode, Eamon says, she's alone, under siege, no family to guide her or protect her, her last relation thousands of miles away, useless, dying. And Sam says, don't say that, Maester Eamon. And Eamon replies, a Targaryen alone in the world. It's a terrible thing. And at this moment, in walks Jon Snow. Yeah. This is not an accident. No, it's not. As Eamon is saying, no family. Yeah. Identifying himself as Danny's last relation. Saying that Danny is a Targaryen alone in the world. In walks Jon. Possibly, definitely. Yeah. Her brother's son. So many layers to that scene. It's amazing. Incredible. Tormund, when Tormund and John are having a conversation, and Tormund says, and now everything is going to change. John says, it is. Why now? Because now I am Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Mm. Is that why? Is that really why? Is that all that's, is that all that's going on? Is right. that the only thing that's different? Number three. Great moment between Stannis and Sam. When Stannis comes down for a chat, and he's all like, I'm soldier, your father. Yeah. There's nothing Sam wants to talk about less in the world than Randall Tarley, as we know. And Santa says, you don't look like a soldier, which is kind of rude, right? But then he goes on to say, I'm told you killed a white walker. I did, your grace. How? With a dagger made of dragonglass. Dragonglass? What the maesters call obsidian. I know what it is. We haven't dragonstone. Why would obsidian kill a walker? I don't know. I've been going through all the old manuscripts hoping to find something. And all I've learned is that the children of the forest used to hunt with dragonglass. Lady Melisandre told me that death marches on the wall. I've seen it, Your Grace. Seen what? The army of the dead. And when they come... We have to know how to fight them. Keep reading, Samuel Tarly. Good advice. Just before that exchange, Sam and Gilly are chatting, and Sam says, I wanted to be one when I was young, a maester. But instead, I became a man of the Night's Watch. Far more adventure up here. And I wouldn't have met you. Very sweet. But these two conversations, back to back, loaded with important stuff. Sam's role, now that he's at the Citadel, learning to become a maester, the knowledge that he's absorbing, the things that he's going to read, following following through on Stannis' push there about how to defeat this threat. Two, Dragonglass on Dragonstone. This is huge that people are hearing this, that Stannis knows this, that Sam knows this now, that this word is hopefully spreading. They need this. They need this to take down the walkers. Now more people know where it is. Number four, Stannis the Grammarian rears his head yet again. Missed this guy. When First Builder Yarwick says basically, yeah, good, great, let the wildlings die. It's less enemies for us. 
In this moment of extremely high tension and intranecine fighting, Stannis says to Davos, you uh, what? Nothing. <laughs> Never change, Stannis. Yeah. Number five, speaking of Stannis, when he decides to march, he says, we have to act now. Give the order. We march at sunrise. This is to Davos. And Davos is like, cool, I'll make sure, you know, we leave a few men behind to watch uh, your wife and your daughter. Right. And Stannis is like, what do you mean? They're coming with me. Yeah. And then goes on to explain his thinking by saying, half these watchmen are killers and rapists. No, they march with us. Oh, boy, this is tough because, spoiler alert, he's making a choice deliberately or unknowingly because he thinks bringing them with him will be safer. And, of course, that is not the case yep. for either of them. Ramsey and Roos sharing a touching father-son moment. Mm. Yeah. Ramsey asking Roos, about his new mother-in-law's pregnancy, Walda Frey, he asks, how can you be sure? Sure of what? That she's pregnant. I mean, how can you tell? <laughs> so how did you manage it? Manage what? Getting her pregnant. I imagine you're familiar with the proceeding. Of course, but how did you find it? <laughs> Ramsey, mm. even you are better than yeah, this. What a fucking asshole. Come on. Come on. Even you are better than this. And number seven, just, you know, we've talked about Grayskull a lot already, but just a moment of silence for Jorah, who... Did not get this in the books and no. is suffering from a show compression. You know, right. fewer characters. Got to switch it up. Give it to Jorah. He's out there on his own anyway. Shouts to my John Connington stands out there. Love all of you. Yeah. Love all of you. I'm praying for Jorah. I'm hoping that his grayscale covered appendage that we saw Whoa. in the season seven, the first season seven trailer is uh, not a sign of what the rest of him no. looks like. I'll love him no matter what. Jason? Yeah. You disgraced yourself whoa, whoa, at dinner, whoa. parading that creature before the Stark girl. Hey, and, whoa, whoa. you know, it would be nice if you could conduct yourself with the dignity of this week's winner. Because each yeah. episode, we are honoring the person who played the game, advanced his or her cause in some tangible way. And this week, guys, this is the hardest time we've had choosing a champion. We really, really struggled because everyone's in kind of a tough spot in this episode. But, 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 the winner. The winner. Ish. Of our very light this week champion's purse yeah. is. Jon Snow. Johnny! Well, listen, here's the thing. Should I start with the cons? Yeah, let's quickly go through the cons. The cons are that Jon takes a drastic and extremely unpopular decision foists it upon his men who are, you know, are already worn down from near constant preparations for war and a recent battle that cost the lives of 50 of their brothers. And this extremely unpopular decision will eventually lead to his assassination. That said, spoiler alert, <laughs> spoiler alert. What are the pros? Now the pros are one, this is the right thing to do. This is actually right. Take out, how his men feel about it. This is actually objectively the right move. And it's a move that not a lot of people would have had the balls to make. Right. Part of what makes John ultimately right. the worthy hero of the story is that he can talk himself into doing right. this and, and, and things like this, doing what he knows is necessary, even right. if it's not popular or easy. That's what makes him worth rooting for. I mean, he walked into Mance's tent with the intention of trying to assassinate Mance, knowing that 
that would probably stop the wildling army and it would result in his painful death. And here he's doing something which I think uh, certainly is very similar. And, and he would be thinking about it that way. Well, I'm going to go north of the wall and save these wildlings or the whole realm is going to fall. Right. Very, 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 very few people would ever even think to do what John is doing yeah. in terms of even just suggesting this. Even fewer would then say, yeah, sure, I'll go too. Fewer. Right? Fewer. The other thing is, again, spoiler territory here, but sure, you could argue, as our producer Zach Mack did, that this is actually the decision that gets John killed, so yeah. how can he win for it? But this is the complicated nature of the story, yeah. right? If John never falls, he can't be reborn. If he's never reborn, he doesn't leave the Night's Watch, make his way back to Winterfell and become King of the North. This is ultimately a, an essential part of his arc and a step on the road. It's similar in a way to what happened with Danny and Drogo and yeah. the dragon eggs, where it's very easy and tempting to say, man, Danny really fucked up with Drogo. <laughs> right. She got her husband killed. Yep. But like that, that is true. But also if she doesn't do that, if that doesn't happen, she know. never puts the eggs into the fire. She never steps in. The dragons aren't born and she's not reborn as the mother of dragons. Right. So these things are not mutually exclusive. That's kind of what makes the story cool. Right. Also, John had another extremely dope, like, eye lock moment with Melisandre in this episode. Yeah, and so yeah, he, he, did. he wins for he wins for that, too. OK, guys, we are scared. It's true. When the battle comes, promise you'll protect us. We will. And until then, we hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you will join us again next time when we will be discussing season five, episode six, unbowed, unbent, unbroken. Just remember. Jealousy bores us. You remember what happens to people who bore us. You're not going to bore us, are you? Hi. Are you suffering from moderate to severe grayscale? Do you have gray, patchy skin growing on part of your body? Do you ever feel the uncontrollable urge to lash out at those around you as your skin turns to stone? Well, we have a product for you. It's called Velagra. Simply apply Velagra with some boiling wine to the affected area 15 to 25 times a day. Ask your maester if Velagra is right for you. Sufferers of grayscale may be banished to the peninsula of Valeria.